We are seeing billions of dollars being poured into renewables, but there needs to be a modern grid that is able to connect these projects, but also support them in delivering low carbon and reliable electricity 24-7 to customers. Hello and welcome to Signals by AlphaSense, where we hear thoughtful insights from business leaders, investors, and experts. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Signals by AlphaSense, and I'm your host, Nick Mazing. Today, we welcome Camille Sarmiento, ESG analyst at HSBC based in New York. You can access Camille's work on AlphaSense or wherever you read research. You can also listen to the HSBC Macro Voices podcast. We'll have the links in the show notes. Camille has done a lot of research on the U.S. electrical grid structure and really more importantly, the challenges that we're going to face as we add renewable capacity while at the same time we increase demand for electricity across the board from the EV transition to more air conditioning demand. Camila, welcome. And can you tell us more about yourself and your work? Yeah. Hi, Nick. Thanks so much. Very happy to be here. Yeah, so I've been in the ESG space for several years, and I've been covering themes across environmental, social, and governance with a focus on the United States. So particularly with the U.S. pushing a very strong climate agenda over the past couple of years under the Biden administration, the U.S. is positioning themselves as this renewed climate leader. We've rejoined the Paris Agreement just about for two years ago and put forth new climate goals. And last summer, we had the most historic investment in history towards climate change and clean technology through the Inflation Reduction Act. And so there is clear momentum in the United States around climate change. And so this is definitely keeping me very busy. As you have mentioned, I have been more recently focusing around the transition to zero carbon electricity and particularly the electric grid that is needed to support this transition in the United States. So we are seeing billions of dollars being poured into renewables, but there needs to be a modern grid that is able to connect these projects, but also support them in delivering low carbon and reliable electricity 24-7 to customers. So let's start with the Inflation Reduction Act, or IRA, that you already mentioned. For our listeners who are not familiar with it, it is a major piece of U.S. industrial policy. And just to give you an idea of how far-reaching it is, a few episodes ago, we did an episode on the IRA effect on pharmaceutical pricing and healthcare providers. And now we're talking about energy and electrical grid So what is the effect that the IRA is going to have on renewables in the United States? Yeah, I mean, I would say quite large. So the act invests about $370 billion for energy security and climate change, which is, again, the most significant investment in U.S. history to fight climate change. And as I mentioned, the momentum around building a pathway to net zero in the U.S. has been strong. We have seen executive orders and subnational initiatives. and The EPA has come out with several efforts on reducing emissions, and these have been impactful, but we were missing that federal level pressure to really put the country onto a net zero pathway. And so, yeah, this IRA, it provides a very large impact to renewables and increases their economics compared to carbon intensive energy sources. So one one aspect of the act that I think is is most important here is just the expansion and extension of the 
existing renewable tax credits. So we had the ITC, the investment tax credit, which was mostly for solar, and we had the PTC, the production tax credit, which was mostly for wind farms. And these had historically driven a lot of the renewable energy growth in the United States. And with these set to expire, I think there was a lot of concern within the space about whether these would be then extended again. And so this IRA has then come out and extended them by about 10 years for to be phased out by around 2034. And it also expanded them to include clean energy technologies beyond just solar and wind, but also battery storage, hydrogen, geothermal, to name a few. So yeah, quite large. And back to impacts on how this might impact the transition to net zero, specifically under in the electricity sector. So I'll mention the the repeat project done by Princeton Zero Lab, which came out with the scenario analysis of the possible impacts of, of the IRA. And they cite solar could increase by five times capacity per year from 2020 levels and wind by two times from 2020 levels by 2025. And this can reduce the remaining emissions gap that we would need for our 2030 target by about two thirds. So definitely putting the United States much closer to reaching its climate goals. And we are already seeing the impacts from the IRA. We are seeing the significant amount of of investments in renewables that have been made into the United States since and the amount of renewable products that are entering interconnection queues and that want to be connected to the grid has really exploded over the past year. And you've taken this a bit further. You have a great report that came out in April where you look at the interplay between the renewables push, the energy transition push versus the grid. And before we discuss the issues and solutions that you have in the report, let's go over the grid basics. I mean, I don't know if people know, there is no national grid in the United States to speak of. Yeah, definitely. So the U.S. grid is quite unique in what you said. It's fragmented into three main interconnections, to be put simply. So you have the Eastern interconnection, the Western interconnection, and then you have ERCOT, which is the third interconnection, which pretty much encapsulates all of the state of Texas. And these interconnections, they all function predominantly independent from one another. So they each have their own utilities, which are tied together by their own transmission and distribution lines. Now, within these three interconnections, there are also 66 balancing authorities, we'll call them, and they include both independent utilities, but also independent system operators, which is kind of these governing bodies of groups of utilities that are kind of governed in in one little one one area. So within these three interconnections, there's actually 66 balancing authorities and these balancing authorities, they encapsulate encapsulate both the independent utilities, but also these independent system operators, which are these governing bodies of groups of utilities. And these, these different balancing authorities work together to balance electricity supply and demand in their regions at all time. So we've got interconnections, balancing authorities. At the same time, we also have our Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, which is which regulates the intrastate transmission of electricity and 
also oversee the reliability of the grid. So right, that's that federal level regulatory body. At the same time, we also have influences from the state and local regulatory bodies. So states and local governments have authority over siting and permitting of power generation and transmission. And they also are setting different energy policies, something that might sound familiar are renewable portfolio standards where states have come about saying and putting forth specific goals for how they want their energy sources, where they want their generation to come from. So you're having kind of all these influences that are impacting the grid specifically. And so to get one project approved, especially if it's crossing state borders or different regional balancing authorities and different interconnections, it's involving many, many different regulatory bodies, and you end up having several different people who are having a say in, in whether this project's going to get passed. And so the ability to make changes to the grid is, is quite complicated. So you outline a number of existing challenges with the grid and kind of looking forward a few, few years into the future. So what are the main challenges that you see right now? Yeah. So, I mean, I think from a global perspective, I think that grids around the world, not necessarily just in the United States, are feeling pressure to modernize their grids. We are seeing increased pressure from climate change, like severe weather events that are, are straining systems globally. In the United States, there has been almost over a 75% increase in blackouts from severe weather events in the past decade. So you are seeing the pressure from climate change impacts. At the same time, you are seeing this intermittency of renewables, right? So when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow, you still need to be delivering electricity to customers and, and the lights still need to stay on. And so, and along with that, you also are seeing electricity demand grow across the world. So you're having these, these major impacts that are stressing grids globally. Now, the United States is a bit unique as well because they also are have these challenges in that the the actual infrastructure of the grid in the United States has been historically underinvested and is aging very quickly. Over 70% of grid lines are more than 30 years old, and it's projected to be the jurisdiction with the most investment needed in a net zero scenario. So it's quite impactful how far behind the United States is in really not only managing climate change impacts and this intermittency of renewables, but also just modernizing the grid and dealing with all the infrastructure that needs to be updated. So yeah, so then there's that. And then at the same time, where we're seeing this huge increase in effort that needs to take place in the United States, we also have the IRA, which has brought never before seen numbers of renewable projects into the interconnection queues. And so we have all these industry players globally that are eagle that are eager to capitalize on these U.S. clean energy incentives. And there needs to be a grid that's ready and able to connect and manage this capacity that needs to be added to the grid. So trying to then manage this influx in projects with this aging grid and pressures from, from climate change and also the intermittency of renewables is, is quite challenging. And then added on what I said previously is that we have this structure, this very fragmented structure in the United States where making these changes that are needed is quite complicated and really can impact the ability to make these changes efficiently. So it sounds like there is a lot of structural problems 
both physically and figuratively speaking. So what are some of the solutions that you laid out in, in the report? Yeah, so I think that from our perspective, one of the, the main solutions really more obviously is just increase in transmission. And this is both in terms of transmission capacity that's needed to send electricity and and connect projects to the grid to get this new project connected to the grid so that I can deliver its electricity to consumers, but also to connect regions and interconnections so that there can be a sharing of electricity across the United States so that when there are demand spikes or you know supply interruptions, that lights can still stay on and energy can be borrowed from one region to the next, whether it be, you know, an extreme heat event or a peak demand during the day, you can have your neighbors helping you and having this more macro grid than just this more fragmented situation that we have now. And I think I I like to think about this in terms of transmission lines being roads. And so when you have a road and you're connecting from point A to point B and you're in a car, that's fine. You can get to there and perhaps it's quickly. But now, you start adding more cars into the road. And now you're seeing that moving from point A to B becomes much more challenging, right? The roads are getting quite congested. And so the ability to get from point A to point B ends up being quite slow. And that's kind of what we're seeing with the transmission that's currently in the United States, where during these peak electricity demands or rush hour, you're finding these the shortages in transmission capacity. And so utilities are struggling to deliver low-cost electricity to customers. Now, what needs to be done? More roads need to be added, but also we need highways, right? These interconnection, large interconnected transmission lines. So interregional transmission lines where energy can be shared across the United States. And so, yeah, that would be kind of the main area. Now, how does this happen? How do we get all this built? And that's kind of the real challenge here in the United States is that we, our current system, or I guess our, our The history of how our grid was built was large sources of energy, right, being transmitted to customers. So a small number of large energy sources. And now what we have is we have smaller energy sources and many of them and how we connect them to the grid to meet customers. So that means that we have to build out transmission more quickly, but we also need to have the administrative processes in place to handle the amount of projects that are being added to the interconnection queue and dealing with all the permitting processes and just administrative work to actually get those those projects operational more quickly. And I think kind of streamlining that process is really important. And we have seen a lot of a lot of noise around this topic. I think it, it was a shame that transmission lines were not included in the ITC's ITCs are the tax credits for within the IRA, but we did see both permitting and transmission being included in in debt ceiling negotiations. So that was positive, but still there's a lot of talk around transmission, but how we're actually going to move forward with it will be pretty interesting. We also have the, the FERC, they also have come out with their proposal for how to redesign their transmission processes. And we are seeing a lot of balancing authorities also talk about how they can better share resources between their neighbors. But again, there's there's studies being done. Seeing that benefit, I think, is is really what's going to drive this. And it's definitely lacking at the federal level to to really bring this about more quickly. Camila, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much.
Today we spoke with Camila Sarmiento, ESG analyst at HSBC in New York. We discussed the Inflation Reduction Act, how it affects renewables and the U.S. grid by extension. Certainly a lot of challenges that are coming up. We also discussed some potential solutions. If you liked what Camila said, you can listen. You can find her in AlphaSense, her research, or you can listen to her on the HSBC Macro Voices podcast on Spotify, Apple, and we'll have the links in the show notes. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. My name is Nick Maisie. You can find us on all the major platforms. Thank you for watching or listening. Thank you for joining us. This was another episode of Signals by AlphaSense. Keep in mind that all views presented here are the views of the guests and hosts and do not represent the views of their employers or of AlphaSense. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investing, tax, legal, or medical advice. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review and subscribe for more.